Welcome to Tres Cuentos. Today we continue our journey through the stories of Latin American authors. Today's cuento comes from a country which official language is Spanish, but it recognizes English, Misquito, Rama, Sumo, Misquito Costal Creole, and Rama Kai Creole as languages spoken by its inhabitants. We are talking about the intriguing Nicaragua, a country that has produced one of the most influential writers in the Latin American literature, one that dreamed of a Latin American united, Rubén Darío. Tres Cuentos, the literary podcast dedicated to the traditional narratives of Latin America, is supported in part by a grant from the National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the Ford Foundation, Southwest Airlines, and the Cerna Foundation, through a grant from the NALAC Fund for the Arts Grant Program. As well, Tres Cuentos is supported in part by a grant from Alternate Roots. The translation source of this cuento is the Spanish-American short story, a critical anthology by Seymour Menton, published by UCLA, Latin American Center Publications, University of California, Los Angeles, and University of California Press. The story in particular was translated by Jill Gibeon. My name is Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz, and now... I invite you to pay careful attention to the following cuento. Perhaps, at the end, you might reconsider the love and passion you feel for those jewels. The Ruby by Rubén Darío Translated by Jill Gibeon Retold by Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz and Don Heimel. Ah, so it's true. So that Parisian scholar has succeeded in extracting from the depths of his retorts, from his matrasses, the purple crystal with which the walls of my palace are inlaid. And upon saying that, the little gnome scurried back and forth from one place to another, with short hops through the deep cave that served as his dwelling, causing his long beard and the bell on his pointed blue cap to shake. It was true. A friend of the centenarian Chevrel, the chemist Fremy, had discovered the method of making rubies and sapphires. Excited and deeply moved, the gnome who was erudite and had rather lively temperament continued his monologue. Oh, sages of the middle-aged, oh, Albertus Magnus, Averroes, Raimundus, Lulus, all of you failed to see the shining wonder of the philosopher's stone. And lo and behold, without studying the Aristotelian formulas, without knowing the Kabbalah and necromancy, here comes a man of the 19th century to invent in broad daylight what we produce in our subterranean world, the magic formula. 
for 20 days fuse a mixture of silica and lead aluminate colored with potassium dichromate or with cobalt oxide. <laughs> Words that truly resemble a diabolical language. There he stood still. The corpus delicti, that is the body of the crime, was there, in the center of the grotto, on a large golden rock. A small ruby, round, gently sparkling, resembling a pomegranate seed in the sunlight. The gnome blew a horn which he carried at his waist, and the echo resounded throughout the vast cavern. Within a few moments, an uproar, a mad rush, a clamor. All the gnomes arrived. The cave was spacious, and in it there was a strange white glow. It was the splendor of the carbon coals that sparkled in the stone roof, inlaid, sunken, bunched together in a multitude of groups, illuminating everything. In that radiance, one could see the marvelous abode in all its splendor. On the walls, on top of pieces of silver and gold, among veins of lapis lazuli, a great array of precious stones created fanciful designs similar to the arabesque of a mosque. Rainbows emerged from crystals of the diamonds, clear and pure like drops of water. Near the hanging stalactite of Chalcedony, the emeralds radiated their resplendent green, and the sapphires in bouquets that dangled from the walls resembled large trembling blue flowers. There was Puck, that rascal Puck, who had meddled in the matter. He had brought the Carpus Dolacti, the false ruby, the one that lay there upon the golden rock like a sacrilege amongst all that sparkling wonder. When the gnomes got together, some with their hammers and small hatchets in their hands, others dressed up in their bright red-pointed hoods embroidered with jewels, all of them curious. Puck said, You have asked me to bring you the latest example of human counterfeiting, and I have satisfied your desires. The gnomes, seated with their legs crossed Turkish style, pulled on their mustaches and gave thanks to Puck by slowly bowing their heads, while those closest to him examined with amazement his pretty wings, similar to those of a dragonfly. So he continued, Those rubies in the great city of Paris were flying invisibly. I saw them everywhere. They sparkled on the necklaces of courtesans, on the bizarre ornaments of the parvenu, on the rings of Italian prince, and on the bracelets of the prima donnas. And with a mischievous smile, he continued, I stole into a certain very fashionable crimson-colored boudoir. There was a beautiful woman asleep, and from her neck I plucked the medallion, and from the medallion the ruby. 
And there you have it. Everyone burst out laughing. What a jingling of bells. Wow, that puck sure is a devil. And then they gave their opinions about that fake man-made, or what's worse, sage mage stone. Glass. Witchcraft. Poison and Kalala. Chemistry. It pretends to imitate a section of the rainbow. Made from the solidified rays of the setting sun. Well, in that moment, the oldest gnome, walking with gnarled legs and a long white beard that looked like a patriarch with his face covered with wrinkles, said, Gentlemen, you don't know what you're saying. Everyone listened. I, I am older than all of you. Since I'm now barely fit to hammer the facets of the diamonds, I, who witnessed the building of these deep fortresses, I, the elder, I shall tell you how the ruby was made. Listen. One day, our squadrons that were in charge of the diamond mines went on strike. A strike that shook the whole earth and we fled through the craters of the volcanoes. The world was happy. Everything was full of vigor and youth. And the roses, and the fresh green leaves, and the birds in whose beaks the seeds enter, and the chirping bursts out. And the whole countryside greeted the sun in the fragrant springtime. The hills in bloom were full of harmony, produced by the warbling of birds and the buzzing of bees. It was a great and sacred wedding, orchestrated by light. On the trees, the sap glistened profoundly, and among the animals everything was stirring, either in the form of bleating or chanting. And in the gnomes, there was laughter and happiness. I had gone out through an extinct crater, before my eyes there was an enormous field. With one leap I put myself on a large tree, an old evergreen oak. Then I climbed down the trunk, and I found myself near a stream, a small, clear river where the waters babbled crystalline jokes to one another. I was thirsty. I tried to drink there. Now, listen more closely. Arms, backs, naked breasts, white lilies, roses, small ivory rolls topped with cherries, echoes of golden festive laughter. And there, amongst the foam, amongst the choppy waters, beneath the green branches... Nymphs? No, women. I knew which of the caves was mine. By banging on the ground, I made the black sand open up and arrived at my palace. You poor little young gnomes, you have so much to learn. I scurried along beneath the shoots of some new ferns over some stones which had been polished by the foamy, murmuring current. And she, the beautiful one, the woman, I seized her by the waist with this arm which was once so muscular. She shouted, 
I banged on the ground. We descended. Above all was fear and wonderment. Below, the arrogant and victorious gnome. One day, I was hammering a chunk of an immense diamond which shone like a star and which broke into small particles with the stroke of my mallet. The floor of my workshop resembled the remains of a shattered sun. The beloved woman was resting on one side as human rose among sapphire flower pots, a golden empress on a bed of rock crystal completely naked and magnificent like a goddess. But in the midst of my palace, my queen, my beloved, my beauty, was deceiving me. When a man is truly in love, his passion penetrates everything, and he is capable of transcending the earth. She was in love with a man, and from her prison she would transmit her sighs to him. They would pass through the pores of terrestrial crust and reach him, and he, equally in love with her, would experience sudden convulsions in which she extended her lips, pink and fresh, like the petals of a centifolia rose. How could they feel each other's presence? With all my magical powers, I do not know. I had just finished my work, a huge pile of diamonds all made in one day. The earth opened up its granite crevices like thirsty lips, awaiting the brilliant breaking of the rich crystal. At the end of the task, tired, I broke one last rock with my hammer and fell asleep. I awoke a little while later upon hearing something like a moan. From her bed, from her quarters, which were richer and more dazzling than those of all queens in the Orient, my beloved, my abducted woman, had fled in desperation. Oh, and trying to escape through the hole opened by my granite mallet, naked and beautiful, she destroyed her body, once as white and smooth as orange blossoms, marble and roses. She broke it on the edges of the broken diamonds. With her wounded sides dripping blood, her groans were so touching, they brought me to tears. Oh, oh, what grief. I got up, took her in my arms, and gave her my most ardent kisses. But the blood continued to flow, inundating the room, and the huge diamond mass became tinged with scarlet. As I kissed her, I seemed to detect a perfume escaping from her burning lips, her soul. Her body remained inert. When our grand patriarch, the godlike centenarian from the bowels of the earth passed through, he found that multitude of red diamonds. Do you understand? The gnomes very gravely rose. They examined more closely the false stone, the work of the sage. Look, it doesn't have facets, 
It has a dull gleam. Impostor is round like the shell of a beetle. And in turn, one by one, they went to pull out the wall's pieces of the arabesque. Rubies as large as an orange, red and sparkling like a blood-tinged diamond. And they said, This is this ours, is ours. Oh, Mother, Mother Earth. Earth. It was an angry orgy of brilliance and color. And laughing, they began to throw into the air giant luminous stones. <laughs> Suddenly, with all the dignity of a gnome, the patriarch said, Well then, we condemn it. Everyone understood. They took the false ruby, broke it into many pieces, and flung the fragments with terrible disdain into a pit below which led into a very ancient carbonized jungle. Then, with joined hands, they began dancing a wild, sonorous dance in their rubies, on their opals, within the confines of those gleaming walls. And they celebrated with laughter, seeing themselves enlarged in the form of their shadows. By this time, Puck was flying outside in the buzzing of the new dawn, on his way to a flowering meadow, and murmured with his usual blushing smile, Earth, woman, because of you, Mother Earth, you are great and fertile. Your breast is inexhaustible and sacred. And from your dark womb flows the sap of the sturdy trees, and the gold and the diamonds like water. Everything that is pure and strong, and that may not be falsified. And you, woman, you are spirit and flesh, all love. Y colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado. The end. Very well, friends, let's talk. Two of Rubén Darío's life concerns were the increase of materialism in our societies due to positivism, the philosophical system based on rationality, and the disunity of our countries. Both issues are somewhat seen in the story. Humans and gnomes are somewhat obsessed with precious stones. The first found a scientific way to counterfeit a ruby, and for a moment, the gnomes admire the fake piece. But it is only until the patriarch gnome tells the story of how the first rubies came to have their distinctive red color from the blood of his beloved, the woman he had kidnapped, that the gnomes realize how unique are the gems that they laboriously extract from the earth. And again, all the gnomes are united under the banner of that romanticized past story. Their hard work and the exquisite stones they give shape. Thus, we will talk about the often romanticized past 
and the banners that unite us. In other words, today we will look at the political times in which Rubén Darío lived and how he responded to that. My hope is that it will give us a better understanding of his full body of work that at times seemed contradictory. I encourage you to read his work since he was a very cosmopolitan man and a prolific poet, writer, and journalist. Félix Rubén García Sarmiento was born on January 18, 1867, in Nicaragua and died in February 6, 1916, in his home country after having traveled extensively throughout Central and South America and Europe. In the literary world, he was known as Rubén Darío and accredited as the one who initiated the Spanish-American literary movement known as Modernism, that flourished at the end of the 19th century. By the time Rubén Darío was born, the Central American countries that we know today as Guatemala, Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Honduras had gained their independence from Spain 46 years earlier. This occurred as the result of the Act of Independence of Central America on September 15, in 1821. Since these countries were in a way born at the same time, like quintuplets, they spent at least another century trying to become one republic. By 1880, Rubén Darío was 13 years old and had already published his first sonnet in a newspaper. At the same time, a third forceful attempt to unify the neighboring countries was executed, this time led by the Guatemalan president, Justo Rufino. But of course, it didn't work, and the initiator was killed. However, those in hopes of having a stronger and larger Central American nation did not give up, and there were a couple of more attempts. The fourth one lasted two years, from 1896 to 1898, and was called the Greater Republic of Central America. The last attempt to create a united republic happened in 1921, but it failed after only six months. My guess is that all those failed attempts led Rubén Darío to support the idea of political unity of Central America, and even for a nationalist unity of Spanish-speaking Latin American countries. Such unity, according to Rubén Darío, needed to celebrate their common Spanish heritage, the Catholic faith, and the indigenous past. Oh, that past that is often romanticized in tales like the gnome's story of the ruby. Darío hoped for Latino America to be united, and for him, a good start was the shared indigenous history of Latin America. Darío admired the greatness of past civilizations. He said, if there is poetry in our America, it is in the old things, in Palenque, in Utlatlán, in the legendary Indian, and in the courtly and sensual Inca and in the great Montezuma on the golden seat. For instance, in his poem to Columbus, Rubén Darío weeps 
for those good old days. Ill-fated admiral, your poor America, your beautiful hot-blooded Indian virgin, the pearl of your dreams, is now some hysterical woman who has convulsions, ticks, and pallid skin. A disastrous spirit has occupied your land, where once united tribes lifted their masses high, an endless civil war has gotten out of hand. Those of the same race fight and watch each other die. If only white people could have had the same ways of Atahualpa, Montezuma, and other great kings. When the iron race of the Spaniard seeds were sown in America's wombs and grew, there was a mix of great Castile heroic deeds with an indigenous mountain fortitude, too. Here is another example of how much he admired the indigenous past. He dedicated the following poem to the great Toki Mapuche leader, Caupolicán who led the resistance against the Spanish conquistadors in what is modern-day Chile. He walked, walked, walked. The daylight saw him. The dusky evening saw him. The cold night saw him. And always the tree trunk was on the titan's back. The chief, the chief, his thrilled clan acclaims him. He walked, he walked. Dawn said, enough. And the tall brow of great Caupolicán was lifted up. So it's pretty clear that he had almost a devotion for the indigenous past. But before we move on, I want to reflect for a minute on the idea of the indigenous past or history. Because I feel that The expression tells us that the idea of indicating anything that was indigenous can only be considered in the past tense. Therefore, the inclusion of indigenous communities in the political and economic affairs of all Latin American countries rarely has ever been part of the debate because their past has been romanticized. It's often only their glorious history and monuments that matter, not They're present. I venture to say that there is respect for the distant indigenous past, but disdain for the current indigenous people situation. Thus, Latin Americans struggle so much to recognize the living native communities as worthy of our admiration and brotherhood. Now, I am not criticizing Ruben Darío for his interest in the indigenous people's past and apparently disinterest for their present. I appreciate his concerns and for raising awareness, but he was a stuck in time. Part of that was the whole idea of being united under a common faith that for centuries had been trying to tame the souls of women and minorities, but in Ruben Darío's defense, I'll say that he was one of the few that pinpointed the matter. So that's a start. But let's go back to Rubén Darío's political ideas. Unity was primary for the success of our newly born countries. And a good role model of unity was the United States. Indeed, since Rubén Darío's times, the idea that 
the United States is the role model for all Latin America has been engraved in people's minds. This at least partially explains why we hear people comparing their small countries with the big giant and thinking that everything is great and perfect here. I'll give you a silly personal example. When I first came to the United States to study, I was on a phone conversation with my mother one day, and I told her that I had seen a roach in my dorm. She thought I was lying or not seeing right. To her, it was impossible that the United States had roaches or rats. And like my mother, many have similar and more distorted ideas about the U.S. I'll say that one thing is sure. The U.S. is good at marketing their victories and washing their dirty laundry at home, as they say in my country. And Ruben Darío knew that. He was aware of the United States' voracious political appetite. He and many other intellectuals of his time protested the intervention of the giant of the North. For instance, during Ruben Darío's time, the United States successfully achieved the acquisition of Puerto Rico and the protectorate over Cuba after their war with Spain in 1896, when they supported Cuba's independence from Spain. Second, the U.S. built, owned, and operated the Panama Canal since 1903, and in a very sneaky maneuver, The U.S. acquired Panama from Colombia by facilitating a revolt that resulted in Panama's statehood. The U.S. was then able to dictate all facets of daily life by creating the Panama Canal Zone. This lasted until it was finally returned to Panamanian control in 1979. Third, the U.S. intervention in the Mexican Revolution of 1911. The U.S. forces facilitated the assassination of the President Francisco Madero. And of course, there was a military occupation of Veracruz. Fourth, the United States occupation of Nicaragua from 1912 to 1933. And that was part of the Bananas Wars that started in 1898 and went until 1934 when the U.S. military intervened in various Latin American countries. Indeed, Rubén Darío had something to say about that in his poem to Theodore Roosevelt. You are the United States. You are the future invader of that naive America which has Indian blood, which still prays to Jesus Christ and still speaks Spanish. You believe that life is a burning building, that progress is a volcanic eruption, where you place your bullet, you place the future. No, the United States is powerful and great. When it shakes, there is a deep-seated tremor that moves down the enormous vertebrae of the Andes. Despite his criticism of the U.S. foreign policy regarding Latin America, Rubén Darío admired their capacity to unite to reach a common goal. This in contrast to our countries that are continuously fighting each other and retarding the growth of the region. And this is how 
Rubén Darío expressed his admiration in the poem Saluting the Eagle. Welcome, magical eagle, with strong and enormous wings. You cast your great continental shadow throughout the south. In your talon, ringed in the most brilliant of reds, you bring a palm of glory, the color of limitless hope. In your beak is the olive branch of a vast and fertile peace. A hey, pluribus inum, glory victory work. Give us the secret of the way you labor in the north, the way our children might cease to be cut from Latin cloth and learn perseverance, vigor, character from the Yankees. Very well, dear listeners. I hope you enjoyed this quick brush of history. There is much more to say, but this is all the time we have. Tres Cuentos tells you that one story or one verse may not change the world, but if we shout it aloud, like a rebellious chorus, oh, we can spin the world the other way around and do something good. In our last episode of Latin American Authors, we will travel to my home country, Colombia, to meet one author that I grew up reading in school, the witty and hilarious Tomás Carrasquilla, who found a unique way to express what he thought and experienced in life through humor. And of course, we will explore the political times in which he lived. Until the next cuento. Adiós, adiós. Tres Cuentos is an exercise of creative writing, researching, and retelling. This podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by... Carolina Quiroga Stoltz. Proof listening, proof reading, and some of the male voices by my good friend Don Jaime. Remember to follow Tres Cuentos on Facebook, iTunes, Buzzsprout, iVox, or wherever Tres Cuentos is listed. And also visit our website, trescuentos.com. The music and sound effects were downloaded from the YouTube audio library and freesound.org. A list of credits per song and the sources of this story can be found in the transcript. Thanks for listening. Adios, adios. <laughs>